We have entered into the season that's called Lent. Its original purpose was to use the six Sundays before Easter to prepare ourselves to celebrate the two greatest days of all time, the crucifixion of Jesus on Good Friday and the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday. In some churches, people get ashes put on their foreheads and they give up some particular food that they hope will please God. But God isn't really interested in those outward signs. God wants us to get prepared in our hearts. So here at East Shelby, during Lent, we trace the steps that lead up to the crucifixion of Christ. And as we start today uh, with a question, why did anyone ever come to hate Jesus enough to crucify him? What was the source of that deep hatred that stirred up such a violent response to what Jesus did? And so we'll consider for the next few weeks, the things that lead up to the crucifixion of Christ, which we'll be talking about on the Sunday before Easter and on Good Friday, and then the good news that follows. We're in Luke chapter 7 for our text today, Luke's Gospel, chapter number 7 for our text. And... considering from that passage. My mother always had certain rules that she enforced to control our behavior as children. And one of those rules had to do with playing in church. Now she knew that as a five-year-old, church was kind of boring for me. So she said that I could take something to play with during the sermon, not during the singing. You don't play during the singing. You can play during the sermon, but not the singing. And you all wonder, how come I memorized all these hymns? Because mom, there is a book, you better be looking at it. (laughs) But during the sermon, uh, I could play, but it had to meet her standard. Number one, had to be a quiet toy. Number two, it had to fit in my pocket. So eventually I collected these tiny little farm animals, chickens and rabbits, cows and goats and dogs, and a whole set of little animals that I could fit in my pocket and play with quietly. At home, I could make the little rooster crow, and I could make the cow moo, and I could make the dog bark. But in church, it had to happen only in my imagination, quietly. Well... I remember something special happened. One of the milk companies made a milk carton that looked like a barn. And after the milk was gone, you could wash out the milk carton and carefully cut with a pair of scissors the little barn door, and you had yourself a barn. It was a perfect match for all my little farm animals. And Mom bought one. Wow. And so the little milk carton and all the farm animals became my favorite set of toys. And then one day, a new boy moved into the neighborhood, and his name was Mark, and he was about a year younger than I was. And his father 
worked with my dad, and so it was those new neighbors came for a visit, and I was instructed to play with this new boy, Mark. So naturally, I got out my milk carton and the barn and the little farm animals, and we were playing with them, and suddenly Mark said, I want to take these home. And I said, no, these are my toys. Well, he wouldn't accept my answer, so he started to beg me and plead with me, and he picked up my favorite little plastic rabbit, and he said, just give me this rabbit. All I want is this rabbit. And he whined and he cried a little, and he hounded me over and over, and finally I gave in. I let him take home my favorite rabbit that had been my church companion for a long time. I was not happy at all. Well, after they left, my mother said to me, I want you to know I'm proud of you for giving away your little rabbit. That was a good thing to do. So I thought to myself, this whiny little new neighbor boy just walked out the door with one of my favorite toys, which made me kind of mad, and now mom's proud of me for giving away <laughs> my favorite toy that's just great. Well, the next time he comes, he'll whine and cry and get another one. So all I can think to do is hide my little farm animals the next time he comes, play with something else, something that I really don't like very much. So if he begs for it, I won't care about it. I'll give it away, and Mom can be proud, and I can be happy. <laughs> well, there it is. The fickle nature of children, changing their minds, being contrary, arguing, always changing the rules, childish behavior based on what I want and not what you want. Now you may ask, what has that got to do with milk cartons and little farm animals have to do with the story of Jesus? in Luke chapter 7. Well, wait a minute, and you'll see, all right? We take up our text today. We find a tragic story has developed. King Herod has put John the Baptist in prison. And John the Baptist fearlessly pointed out King Herod's sinful ways, so Herod put John in prison. So John the Baptist, from prison, sends some of his followers to Jesus to ask a question. So let's look at this remarkable question that John followers brought to Jesus. Luke chapter 7, and I begin reading at verse number 16. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet has risen up among us, that God has visited his people. And this rumor of him went through in all Judea, throughout all the region about, and the disciples of John showed him all of these things. And John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or should we look for another? And when the men were come unto Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or should we look for another? And so, here's a remarkable Question. We pick up right where we left off last week. Jesus has just 
raised from the dead a boy at the gates of Nain. And his fame is spreading everywhere. And John the Baptist hears the news, sends two of his followers to ask Jesus a question. Are you the Messiah, the coming one, or do we wait for somebody else? Now that's a shocking question, especially from John the Baptist. Didn't John say, one is coming whose shoes I'm not worthy to untie? Didn't John say, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world? And didn't John hear the voice when Jesus was baptized, saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased? So why does he suddenly ask, are you the Messiah, or do we wait for somebody else? What happened to make John question whether Jesus was the Messiah? Some people say he was shut up in prison and didn't know what was going on, but our text clearly says that Jesus' fame spread all over. And apparently John had outside contacts. After all, he sent two of his followers to question Jesus. So why did John doubt? What suddenly went wrong with John? Well, he's human. <laughs> That's usually what goes wrong with us. And humans have doubts. Yes, but he's no ordinary man. Consider this. John got information about himself from the Old Testament, just like Jesus did. John found himself in Isaiah chapter 40. And he says, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And John knew that that was him and that was his role to prepare for Jesus to arrive. But I think John also read from Isaiah chapter 9 about the Messiah, where it says, unto us a child is born Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. So naturally, John thought, like all the Jews thought, that Jesus the Messiah would come and take over the government. And on Palm Sunday... We read that they're all riding into Jerusalem saying, here it comes. Jesus is coming to take over the government. So I think John grew impatient with Jesus and asked, come on, why don't you go to Jerusalem and take over and stop hanging around in Galilee or maybe you're not the one. So Jesus makes a reply, verse 21. That same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues of evil spirits. Unto them that were blind he gave sight. And Jesus answering said to them, Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard. How that the blind see and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised and go to the poor. Uh, the gospel is preached and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Or in other words, John, you better check out Isaiah chapter 61 
read a little further, John, and uh, you'll find me there. Jesus came to preach to the poor, to exchange the new garment of praise for the old spirit of heaviness, or Jesus came to bring cheer to the hearts of people who were downtrodden by sin. And that's all the message Jesus sent to John. Read your Bible a little more, John, and you'll find me there described perfectly right in Isaiah's prophecy. So the two messengers go back to John after they leave, after they're gone. <coughs> Jesus turns to the crowd and is going to ask them some questions. He doesn't want them to think Poorly of John for his doubts. So he asked some questions. Verse 24. When the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's court. But what want you out to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. This is of he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before my face, which shall prepare the way before me. And I say unto you, among those that are born of woman, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Turns to the crowd. He says, when you went out to see John the Baptist, did you see a man whose opinions were changing like a cattail blowing in the wind? Oh, no. No, that's not what he was. Was he all dressed in fancy clothes? <laughs> no. He was no sissy. He's wearing camel hide eating locusts and honey, he's tough as nails. So what did you see when you went down to the Jordan River to see John the Baptist? You saw a prophet. A man sent from God with a message. And he spoke the words of God to prepare you to get ready to meet Messiah he was the greatest prophet ever. Why? Because all the rest of the prophets that spoke said Messiah will come eventually after a while. But John stood up and he said, look, he's here. He has arrived. John is the culmination of all the prophets. And he said, Messiah has come. He has finally arrived. Behold the Lamb of God. Yes, he was the greatest prophet ever. But, it's a fascinating comment. But, he that is least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. How can that be? Does Jesus mean that plain, ordinary people like you and like me, can be greater than John the Baptist? Well, 
Yeah, that's exactly what he means. How? How can plain people like you and me be greater than John the Baptist? Well, my friends, it's good news. <laughs> good news. And here's how it works. Jesus ushered in a new plan. A whole new way of doing things. And now we can be born again made into a new person. We can have our sins washed away and can be perfectly forgiven. And we can have the Holy Spirit come into our life. And Jesus' disciple John wrote in his epistle, Behold, what kind of love is this that God has given to you that you and I can be called the sons of God? So John the Baptist said, look, here's the Messiah. Here's the Lamb of God. Takes away the sin of the world. But we can say, yes, I know he took away my sin. <laughs> and he gave me eternal life. And he adopted me into his family. He separated my sins as far from me as the east is from the west. And we can say Jesus died on a cross for me. And I am a new person in the work of Jesus Christ. So you see, we're on the other side of things. All John could say was repent, be baptized, get yourself prepared to meet Messiah. That was before Jesus came. We can say, oh yes, we've seen all he did. He rose from the dead and he conquered death. And we can tell a lot more of the story of Jesus than John ever could. Because we have the fact, and we're after the fact, that Jesus' plan has been fulfilled. So listen very carefully now. Here is the focus of what Jesus is trying to say. Verse 29. And all the people that heard him, that's John the Baptist, and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. The Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves being not baptized of him. John the Baptist preached. Get ready. Get prepared. Messiah's coming. How do we get ready? Repent. Turn away from your sin. Come and be baptized, and you'll be ready to receive the Messiah when he comes. And so in verse 29, regular, everyday people, plain, ordinary people, and even tax collectors, it says, considered by most to be the scum of the earth, even tax collectors came and repented and were baptized and got ready to meet Messiah. And sure enough, there comes Jesus. And they followed him wherever he went. Crowds are following him all the time. But in verse 30, Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers, all the religious leaders of that day, they all went to hear John the Baptist too. And they said, well, we don't have any sin to confess. <laughs> we don't need to be baptized. 
And it says they rejected the counsel of God against themselves. Or in other words, God sent a prophet, a messenger from God, John the Baptist, and he stood up and loud and clear, and he said, get prepared, the Messiah is coming. Get your heart prepared and ready. That's what God's message is to you. And the religious leaders said, we reject the whole idea. We don't want to repent. We don't need to repent. And the Messiah is not here. And this fellow John, the Baptist, is an extremist. He's some kind of religious nut. A crazy person. He's strict, always fasting. He's harsh with his words. And he calls us vipers. He's no prophet. He's just a crazy nut, and we will not listen to a crazy person. The Messiah will not come soon. Now, Jesus looked at those religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, and he said, how can I describe these people? And the way they behave. Verse 31. And the Lord said, Whereunto shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? They are like unto children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another, saying, We have piped to you, and you have not danced. We have mourned to you, and you have not wept. Wow, there it is. I told you we'd talk about children playing. And children arguing. And children changing their minds. Fickle behavior. This is a wonderful story that Jesus uses to describe the Pharisees. Listen to his illustration. There's a group of children playing in the marketplace. The work day is over. The children are released from school. They join their parents at the marketplace. And as they wait for mom and dad to get ready to go home, they decide, well, let's play something. While we're waiting, let's play a game. So here we go. We'll play the wedding game. Everyone's joyful and happy at weddings. Just like at a wedding, we want you to be happy. They play music at a wedding. And everyone dances with great celebration. So let's play wedding. And the kids say, here we go. We'll play the music. Singing their little song. Come on, dance. The other kids say, nah, we don't feel like it. We don't want to dance. So the kids say, all right. You don't want to dance. Let's play funeral." We'll play sad music, and you can do what adults do at a funeral. You can cry and weep, and you can mourn and be sad, so here we go. Nope, we don't want to be sad. We don't want to play funeral. Childish behavior. You play my way, 
You're going to sing and dance? Or are you going to weep? Nope. All right, we'll play mournful funeral. Nope. We refuse to cry. Typical children. I want what I want, and whatever you want is not what I'm going to do. It's the behavior of the Pharisees. And Jesus just told them it was childish. Now here's why, verse 33. John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he hath a devil. The son of man is come eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber and a friend of publicans and sinners. John the Baptist, God's prophet, came with a very serious message. Repent. Be baptized. And the Pharisees said, nope, we don't need to. We refuse to cooperate. Now Jesus is walking all over Galilee, healing the blind, cleansing the lepers, making the lame to walk. He's even raising the dead. And people just love him. They follow him and they're fascinated with Jesus. But not the Pharisees. They say, no siree. This Jesus eats with sinners. He's a regular wine-bibber. He befriends people that we wouldn't even speak to. So the Pharisees said, John the Baptist is too strict. We're not going to follow him. Jesus is too liberal. He makes friends with the local scum. We refuse to play your game. My friends, John the Baptist and Jesus were both sent from God. And although they were very different in the way they dealt with people, they had different styles, they both agreed on the message. Come. Message is come to God. Come and get prepare your heart. God loves you. He wants you to come to him. And the Pharisees say, nope, we won't do it. We don't want to. John is no prophet and Jesus is certainly not Messiah. My friends, that's exactly how it works today. Some people say, get serious about life and give your heart to Jesus. Other people say, come to Jesus, there's joy and peace available to you. God so loved the world, he gave his son for you. So come. People act like it's a game and I don't want to play. And they ignore God and with childish behavior they say it doesn't really matter. I don't want to play that game. It's all just a big game. My friends, the counsel of God is come, come. Come to me. Get prepared to meet God. God loves you, so come. But the Pharisees of old and people today say, I don't need it. I refuse to play. It's not important. And they spend their lives in trivial pursuit. And they die. And life is over. 
And it's too late. They rejected the counsel of God and they died unprepared. Tragedy of all tragedies. And it always amazes me. People will buy a life insurance policy. People will write out a will. And people will say... There's nothing as sure as death and taxes. But they won't prepare themselves to meet God. They refuse to get their hearts ready. And they ignore the consequences. And they, like the Pharisees, reject God's counsel against them, ignoring the obvious. They are oblivious to the day when they will meet God face to face. And then Jesus said one more thing in verse 35. Wisdom is justified of all her children. Wisdom has a family. And the children of wisdom recognize the wise choice. And that wise choice is get ready to meet God. And so they trust in Jesus and they work and his work on Calvary and they're washed from their sins and they are adopted into God's family and prepared for the future. They rest in joy, patiently waiting for the day they will meet God face to face and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. That is how wisdom's children behave. Not like the children playing in the marketplace who refuse to cooperate. So we need to be wisdom's children. Trust you are one of wisdom's children ready to meet God. The Pharisees and scribes ignored God's greatest prophet and then they ignored Jesus and the Messiah And they said, we will know when the Messiah comes. We'll know that one thing for sure, and this Jesus is not him. Plain everyday people replied, and they said, but but we've seen Jesus heal the blind, and we've seen him cure the lepers, and we've seen him make the lame to walk. We've even seen him raise the dead and he preaches to us in fascinating words and preaches to us thrilling stories that we can understand. Will the Messiah do more than that? And the Pharisees replied, what do you know? You uneducated peasants. What do you know about God? We're the experts. Jesus is a fraud and we reject him. And sadly, that rejection turned into hatred, and that hatred turned into murder. So Jesus issues a warning, listen to God's advice, listen to God's counsel, don't waste your life ignoring Jesus, don't be childish, it's not something to ignore, or don't be uncooperative with it. Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So use your life wisely and 
Put your faith in Jesus. He waits for you with open arms. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the instruction you give. We pray that it will make us wise. And we'll consider who you are. And remember, the message has been sent. Get ready to meet God. Help us to be ready so that when that day comes, we can come with confidence, even as Maxine has done, that we may come with confidence and believe in you and look it right in the eye and say, we're okay, we trust in Jesus. Bless us, Lord, as we do these things. Teach us more as we continue these studies. Make us wise, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. In closing, I'd like you to turn your hymn book with me, page number 166. In closing, standing as we sing, 166, My Jesus, I Love Thee. Standing as we sing, 166, My Jesus, I Love Thee. Page 166. <clears throat> would be true and real, and that we would see the need to have an approach to you, to know that our time will be coming, and that we need to make a serious decision. We need to come, as you have said, 
we need to come and draw near to you. We ask, Lord, that our hearts would be open, and we ask that you would come into them. Teach us the way you want us to live. Help us not to reject you, but to come to you and accept you. We ask that our hearts would be ready for that acceptance, and that your Spirit would come and be inside of us and teach us a new way to live each and every day. We are thankful for your invitation that you came to this earth, that you died to give us a chance to be with you. If we just only accept that chance, we pray for these people in this place. All of us touch our hearts, we pray. Protect us all as we go out from this place. May we tell to others the great news of Jesus Christ, that he has given us a chance to be forgiven and to be in heaven with him with all of those who love him. We are thankful for these things. We ask for your help in your name.